The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked, for the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst. And he said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, and whose sins you retain are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. Perhaps you have had the occasion to see someone receive an honor or a responsibility or a position, and you knew that person to be perhaps unworthy of the honor, the responsibility, or the position. You knew them. You knew their history. You knew their personality. And you couldn't understand how the person could have received what they received. You assumed that the person giving it to them didn't know them. But if the person did, and knew them even better than you did, then you would begin to wonder, wouldn't you? You'd become confused. Why did you bestow this on this person? It makes no sense. There are certain more worthy people who could have received the honor, the responsibility, or the position. Well, yes, although I suspect that if you and I had been the one receiving it, we wouldn't have seen the problem. <laughs> uh, but that's today's gospel in, the, in one sense. Our Lord appears to the apostles, the disciples, who are behind locked doors for fear, for fear of the Jews. And he says to them, peace be with you. You and I might say, Lord, why are you doing this? All of these disciples have been unfaithful. They deserted you. And the one you trusted the most denied three times that he even knew you. Why are you offering them peace? Why is your vengeance to be even kinder than you were before? And why are you giving them divine power to forgive sins as you forgave them? They deserve nothing except rebuke. But there is something else here, too. Our Lord chose these men. He knew them straight through. 
You know what he was doing. What made the difference? Well, those words. He breathes on them, breathes, and says, receive the Holy Spirit. That changes everything. Receive the Holy Spirit. You will now do what I did. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Yes, you will forgive sins. You are new men now. Well, this is Easter, though, and 50 days later, today, on Pentecost, they will receive the fullness of that Spirit. So right now, he gives them these gifts, these men whom he loves and trusts, whom we would never think of trusting, unworthy of any trust whatsoever, and he gives them all these things even his own power. In fact, the Holy Spirit does that down through history. You and I hear that all the time. At baptism, the priest puts his hand in the water and says, and asks the Lord to send your spirit upon this water. At confirmation, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the Eucharist today, the greatest of all the actions of the Holy Spirit, the priest stretches out his hands and calls down the Holy Spirit to transform the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. In the forgiveness of sins and confessional, God the Father of mercies through the death and resurrection of his Son has sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. And the anointing of the sick through this holy anointing may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. Again and again and again is the Holy Spirit working in the church, transforming the church, the Holy Spirit that actually makes the church the church. This is the birthday of the church. And she came into existence through that coming, as we heard in the first reading. The apostles are there with the Blessed Mother. It's interesting. The Blessed Mother is at the foot of the cross. Our Lord gives the, the beloved disciple and us to her as sons, and she becomes our mother. She's never mentioned at the resurrection, never mentioned at the ascension, but once again at Pentecost she's mentioned. Why? Because she's the spouse of the Holy Spirit. She's the bride. At the beginning, at the incarnation, the Holy Spirit took human flesh from her. She was there. She was the conception. And the Word became flesh and God became man. Now, at the beginning of the church, at the conception of the church, she's there again. She was there when he became flesh in his natural body that she gave him, and she's there again when he, the mystical body comes into existence, the church. Of course she's there, the spouse of the Holy Spirit. How could she not be there? And so the church is born, the church as we know her, down through history. You know, it's interesting, the Holy Father, we believe the church, as I said, the Holy, the Holy Spirit is the soul of the church and guides the church and preserves her from error. The Holy Father is interesting. He has a number of titles, but there are two that stand out. One is the Vicar of Christ and the successor of St. Peter. Never the other way around. He's not the successor of Christ. Christ has no successor. He is still the head and body of the church and will always be until the end of time. The Pope is only his vicar, his representative on earth. But he is the successor of St. Peter because he does have the authority of St. Peter. He succeeds with all of his authority, guided by the Holy Spirit, we believe. Whether he's a good man or not a good man, it makes a difference as far as his holiness and as far as the church is concerned, but not as far as his office or what he can do. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit, given to all of us, too, when we receive the Holy Spirit. 
Not in the same way that he did, because the Holy Spirit is given to us in different ways for different reasons. But we receive the Holy Spirit. The church, you know, is going through difficult times today. The world out there is screaming. The church is always going to be opposed. But now in particular, we hear of scandals and things like that. And yet, the church is, you know, of all the organizations on this earth, with all of her problems, is squeaky clean. The media won't tell you that. The media would like us to say, look at those few scandals over there and despair. Go somewhere else. The church will say, oh, no, no, no. Look at the saints. That's where faith and hope and victory is with them. The church is always going to be victorious, uh, either because of us or in spite of us. You know what Pope Benedict said? Uh, he had a way of putting things, but nobody else seemed to be able to... Well, all popes have their own way of putting things. Um, but he had a remark about the church. What he said was, uh, we must acknowledge that faith is seriously weakened and threatened within the church. He's speaking of today. Remember I've said before that when the church is strong, the opposition comes from outside. When the church is not holy, the opposition comes from the inside. Now it's coming from both directions. And then he went on to say, within the church. And we in the church, even we, have lost courage. We have picked up the idea that all religion is the product of history. And that every person is as he is because of the accident of birth. This view reduces religion from the level of truth to the level of habit. It becomes an empty flux of inherited traditions that no longer have any significance. But this view also eliminates a crucial affirmation from the church, from the Christian faith, namely, Christ's I am the truth, and hence the way, hence also the life. Truth is not something vague. The church is not just one option in many. She is it. She has been given to us by the Lord, again, to last until the end of time. People will accept her or reject her, but the truth remains in her. And we must understand that. Again, with, with all of the defects that you and I possess, this is what God has given to us. Our Lord said this would happen. We must continue to go on. Um, again, always looking at the saints and always striving to become a saint. Uh, and the Holy Spirit will lead us, will give us that strength, give us that courage. After all, in confirmation, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Courage, fortitude is one of them. Pope Benedict said, we have lost courage. We've got to get that back. And it will come from the Holy, Holy Spirit, too, that gift of courage. You know, we had that beautiful sequence uh, sung before the gospel, the Vene Sancte Spiritus. Every day we should pray to the Holy Spirit. Say some short prayer, at least come Holy Spirit. That sequence is so beautiful, every year we have to reflect on that. But think of what that was saying, that we said today, By the way, remember, 
This is the second greatest feast in the church year. It even outranks Christmas, next, next to Easter. And what that said was, come Holy Spirit, and from heaven direct on man the rays of your light. Come Father of the poor, come giver of God's gifts, come light of men's hearts. Kindly paraclete, in your gracious visits to man's soul, you bring relief and consolation. If it is weary with toil, you bring it ease. In the heat of temptation, your grace cools it. If sorrowful, your words console it. That's a beautiful, beautiful thought. Then he goes on to say, Most blessed light, shine on the hearts of your faithful, even into their darkest corners. For without your aid, man can do nothing good, and everything is sinful. Wash clean the sinful soul. Rain down your grace on the parched soul. And heal the injured soul. Soften the hard heart, cherish and warm the ice-cold heart, and give direction to the wayward. Give your seven holy gifts to your faithful, for their trust is in you. Give them reward for their virtuous acts. Give them a death that ensures salvation. Give them unending bliss. Amen. Alleluia.